Okay, uh, we'll just uh, draw it back up here and uh, pick up with uh, the message today. Um, just a quick uh, recap. This is the fifth in a series of five messages. Uh, so those of you that are coming in the middle or have been kind of hit or miss, which is not uncommon during the summertime, uh, we'll do a bit of a recap, uh, but just to kind of put it in context. <clears throat> What goes around comes around. Um, I was in my early 20s working as a civilian police dispatcher when I first heard that phrase. And typically when someone who had been involved in some type of criminal enterprise um, uh, ended up suffering consequences because of their actions, uh, that was a common phrase. What goes around comes around. Um, Within our human nature, excuse me, within my human nature, um, when life is unfair, there is a strong temptation to find a certain degree of personal satisfaction when people get what they think we deserve. I'm sure I'm the only one who feels that way, but going way back in time, I can remember a time, many of you know my father used to live in the far west end of the Upper Peninsula, and back in the day, I won't date myself, but throughout virtually the entire Upper Peninsula, the speed limit was 55. Most of you know that generally I'm one of those guys who follows the speed limit, and there are times it irritates me when I'm following the speed limit and people pass me. And I remember one day in particular, I was coming home from there, which is always a much longer trip than going up there. Um, and someone was just riding my bumper, curves, hills. And finally, they just had so had it with my slow driving that they passed me like on a hill, on a curve, on a double yellow line. They just went and it just Elevated my blood pressure. We'll put it that way. And I confess that when I got a few miles down the road and I saw them pulled over with a state trooper behind them, I had a hallelujah moment. I felt such a deep sense of joy and satisfaction. Now, please understand, I'm not saying I always drive the speed limit. And in those times when I get pulled over, If someone else were having a hallelujah moment at my expense, it would be highly offensive to me. But I would say with regard to what goes around comes around, fortunately for us, for all of us, I will say, that's not the way God sees it. Because if God felt what goes around comes around, none of us would be here. And I just say that to kind of set the context for the last part of the story or the lessons from the life of Joseph. But I want to start with a passage from Romans chapter 12. Paul writes, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful what to, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, to the fullest extent you can make peace happen, Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, please understand, for any of you who have a passive-aggressive tendency, that's not saying you're right, all right? 
It's not saying I will be nice to them because God's really going to hammer them. It's just saying be nice to them and let God figure it out. Maybe it's just they'll just feel really bad about themselves because you're nice to them. Some of us have had that experience. Um, you do dirt to someone and they're nice to you instead. It's like, uh, what? I know I've shared enough of my testimony with you to know there was a period of time when Diane and I first started going to church. Uh, the, uh, a, a different church, and I was yet to have a real personal life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. We went there. There were some people that I had known earlier in my life that I had not treated very well, and they were nice to me. There was no reason in my world for them to be nice to me, but they were nice to me. And God used that to just kind of begin to get under my skin a little bit and think maybe there was something more to church than what I had come to understand most of my life. So again, the emphasis there is not do nice to them so God will make them miserable. The emphasis there is do nice to them. And then it concludes, do not, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And again, I just want to let that settle in for you and just Think about it. Do not be overcome by evil. Instead, overcome evil with good. Joseph's lesson today challenges the don't get mad, get even mentality that can easily take root in us when life seems unfair and success eludes us. Very, very quick rehab. As I listen back to my previous messages, Each week I've spent more and more time on the recap, and so this is going to be really, really short. Genesis chapter 37, we, the story starts out with Joseph. Uh, he's kind of the favorite son. Uh, His brothers have had enough of him. They beat him, throwing him in a pit to die, pull him out, and sell him as a slave. He ends up as a slave in Egypt as a Hebrew. He's a slave in Egypt in a man named Potiphar's house. Does a great job. Potiphar promotes him. Potiphar's wife comes on to him. Joseph, Joseph says, nope, not having it. She makes false accusations against him, and he ends up in prison. In prison, he does a good job, model prisoner, basically is running the prison. Um, somebody makes a promise, if you kind of help me get out, the cupbearer to Pharaoh, help me get out or encourage me or whatever, I'll remember you when I get out. Uh, he gets out, forgets about Joseph. For two years, Joseph spends, in, spends an additional two years in prison every day wondering if the cupbearer will finally remember him and he might possibly get out. Eventually, he does get out. He goes before Pharaoh, interprets a dream for Pharaoh, um, gets promoted, uh, basically is running the country of Egypt. There's a huge famine in the land, as Joseph predicted, uh, as God predicted through Joseph, I should say. And in the midst of this famine, there's no food anywhere around except in Egypt. And if you want food from Egypt, it goes through Joseph. And so after all this time, Joseph's brothers, the ones who beat him, left him to die, pulled him out, sold him as a slave, considered him dead and gone, they have to come and stand before Joseph to buy food to survive. Oh, what an opportunity to celebrate, right? Open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 42. Um, I'm going to walk through this. It's a little bit different than what I normally do. Uh, going to kind of retell the story um, without reading the entire story to you. Uh, but in Genesis chapter 42, 
Oh, again, as I've told you, uh, they're coming before Joseph. I don't need this anymore. They're coming before Joseph to buy food. Uh, and they, we'll pick up with 42 verse 6. 42 verse 6, it says, Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all his people. So when Joseph's brothers, remember Joseph's brothers, remember Joseph had a dream uh, that his brothers one day would bow down to him, and he told them about it, and they said, You snot-nosed little kid, how dare you think that we will bow down to you? It was offensive to them. So in Genesis 42, verse 6, Joseph is the governor of the land, the person who sold the grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Oh, my goodness. The dream was not a dream. It was a prophecy. Roughly 20 years had passed. From the time he shared that dream, he had been through all kinds of unfairness, mistreatment, and he kept doing what was right. And now standing before him are the people who started it all. And they're literally bowing before him with their lives in his hand. How's he going to respond? What an incredible moment. What an incredible lesson for me and for you. As they come before him, now again, I will not judge Joseph's motives. If it were my motives, I'd be inclined to think maybe he decided to have a little fun with them. Because he says, well, you're here to buy food. I think you're spies. And you want to know what we do to spies? We don't treat them well. And they say, no, 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 we're not spies. Trust us, we're not spies. You know, we're 12 brothers, but one of them is no more. And Joseph said, ah, sorry, he is, but he didn't tell him that yet. But it's one of them is no more, and he counts, and he says, well, you said there's 12, one of them's gone. My math says that's 11, but I only see 10 of you. Well, there's our youngest brother, and he stayed back home with Dad because he's Dad's second favorite, all right? So he stayed with Dad, and he says, I don't believe you. He said, I'm going to throw you all in prison. I said, no, no, no. Trust us. And he says, here's what I'll do. I'll sell you some food. Actually, initially it was, I'm going to keep you here, send somebody back home, bring that brother to me, and then we'll talk. No, no. Finally it was, I'm going to keep one of you here in prison. You guys take your food, go home, and the brother that I keep doesn't get released until I see this mysterious 11th brother kind of an interesting situation so they've already lost one brother now another brother is imprisoned in egypt and it's interesting as they're having this discussion about sending back the brothers talk amongst themselves and in genesis 42 20 and 21 and 22 it says they said to one another surely we're being punished because of our brother 
We saw how distressed he was and pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. He's saying, guys, I'm thinking what goes around comes around. Told you it was a bad idea, but we did it anyway. And they're having this conversation because they think Joseph is an Egyptian. So they're having this conversation in their native language in front of Joseph, and he's understanding everything they're saying. Just imagine that moment. It's like, yeah, I know what you're saying, and I'm kind of glad to see you twisting in the wind a little bit. That's me. That's not Joseph, okay? But then we pick up verse 23. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. Listen to verse 24. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon, one of the brothers, taken from them and bound before their eyes. Instead of having a hallelujah moment because his brothers were twisting in the wind and feeling regret for what they'd done to them, he was moved with compassion. And he began to weep. Oh, that I wish I had that character. His heart and his motive were revealed. So, they headed home. Left Simeon as a prisoner in Egypt. And they headed back home with the food. Verse 4, or chapter 42, 27 and 28. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, and they turned to each other trembling and said, What is this God has done to us? So they went there to buy grain. Joseph sells them grain, but instructs his servants to put their money back in the sacks. They're on their way home, and they discover that they've still got the money they thought they'd paid for their food. And in that moment, they're concerned, rightly so, that the Egyptians will feel like they stole from them. And there's no way they'll ever get Simeon back. Because who's going to go back after somebody thinks you stole from them? What is this that God has done to us? Now to pick up with verse or chapter 43. So they go back home. They take the food. They're stressed. They explain to dad. Things just went really sideways. They wanted to see Benjamin, the youngest son. We couldn't. Finally, they sent us home. They kept Simeon. And somehow they're going to think we didn't pay for our food. And they just... Sounds like they kind of go on from there. But the famine was really bad. And so eventually the food they bought runs out. 43, 1 and 2. Now the famine was still severe in the land, so when they'd eaten all the grain they had brought from Egypt, their father said to them, go back to us and buy a little more food. Now again, Simeon's still in prison this whole time. Dad's saying, guys, pack up and go back. And they said, Dad, this guy in Egypt, 
He said if he ever saw our faces again without having Benjamin with us, we were never getting out of Egypt alive. Dad says, we got to have food. I won't send Benjamin. They said, Dad, we got to have food. We won't go if you don't send Benjamin. Finally, Judah steps up, one of the brothers, and he says to his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all of my life. So they went back. And they took the money they owed from the first trip, they took some extra money, and they took some door prizes to say, we really, really want you to think well of us. And we pick up in verse 19 to chapter 43. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him. So when they got back there, they said, yeah, well, let's quick and make nice. So they went up to Joseph's steward and spoke to him at the entrance to the house. We beg your pardon, our Lord. We came down here the first time to buy food, but at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks, and each of us found his silver, the exact weight in the mouth of his sack. So we brought it back with us. We've also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put our silver in our sacks. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. So again, their minds have to just be swirling. Uh, We're somewhere lost in the twilight zone. We don't fully understand what's happening. So finally they get before Joseph, and this time they do have Benjamin with them. And in verse 29 of chapter 43, as he looked around and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son. Now remember we explained way back in the beginning that Jacob, Joseph's father, had two wives, and each of those wives had a a female servant, and Jacob had children with all of them. But the one wife was the favorite wife, And he only had two children, or two male children with her. One was Joseph, and one was Benjamin. That's why these two kind of have a special connection. So, Benjamin, of all the twelve brothers, Benjamin and Joseph are the only two that are full-blood brothers. So, after all this time, after all these years of separation, Joseph sees his brother Benjamin. Verse 29, as he looked around and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, Is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God, be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went to his private room and wept there. What a thought. He thought he'd never, ever, ever see him again. And he finally gets the opportunity. And this is important here. Instead of focusing on paying back his brothers for what they cost him, he celebrated what he had. And he was moved to tears. So what what happens next is kind of a continuation. 
they sell them some grain and the same deal. They put the money back in the sacks without them knowing it. But this time they take Joseph's special cup. Now remember, Joseph is basically running the country of Egypt. They take his special cup and he tells them, put it in the youngest guy's sack. So they put it in Benjamin's sack and they head out to go home. And then Joseph sends his servants after him and says, hey guys, what's the deal? I do right by you and you steal from me. What's up? We didn't take your special cup. Somebody took my master's special cup. And they're going to have to pay. And they say, you know what? We know we don't have his cup. So you just look in our sacks. And if you should happen to find it, which you won't, then whoever took it, they can go and be a slave for the rest of their lives. And they go progressively from oldest to youngest, and they get to Benjamin, the youngest, the one whom Dad said, I don't care if any of the rest of you come back, bring Benjamin back. Sure enough, the cup's in Benjamin's sack. And the brothers are distraught. And what I find significant is not only was Joseph changed for the, through this, but his brothers were. Because based on the agreement, Benjamin was the only one who had to go back. But the story tells us that all the brothers said, if Benjamin's got to go back, we're all going back. And so they all went to face the music for this offense instead of letting Benjamin just hang out there on his own. So in verse 18, when they finally get back and they understand there's a price to be paid, Judah goes up to Joseph thinking Benjamin's just toast. And Judah says, take me, take me. If somebody's got to stay, I will stay. Let the youngest guy go. And he goes on in verse 33 and says, Now then, please, let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy, and let the boy return to his brothers. Or return with his brothers. Joseph and Benjamin were sons of Rachel, the favorite wife. Judah and Reuben, the two who are trying to fix this the most, were sons of Leah, the other wife. But now instead of being jealous, they're his strongest advocates. Judah was determined not to let it happen again. And to me it speaks to how the brothers have changed. Charting with chapter 45, verse 1. 
after all this has transpired, Judas steps up to the plate and says, you know what, we got to fix this. We read in verse 1 of chapter 45, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all of his attendants, and he cried out, Have everybody leave my presence, so there is no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. I just can't stand this anymore. All of you Egyptians, all of you Egyptian slaves and servants, get out of here. I'm going to talk to these guys one-on-one. And it says, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Is my father still living? Just, just try to imagine that moment. Knowing you have done him so wrong and all of a sudden you realize Every subsequent breath you will take is in his hands. It says in verse 3, His brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. I suspect some of you may have at some point in time done something wrong. And some of you may still remember the emotion that came when you realized you'd been caught. But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Verse 4, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me. I don't know how I feel about this. Come close to me. When they had done so, he said, Get this, friends. I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Yeah, we're starting to figure that out, and we're not very comfortable with this conversation. And now, he says, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Don't be freaked out about this and don't blame yourselves. But it's my fault. Why shouldn't I blame myself? Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. I hope your head explodes when you hear that. They beat him, threw him in a pit, sold him as a slave to a foreign land, and he says, oh, that's okay, it's not your fault. God had a plan. Oh, so it's good that we beat you and threw you in a pit and sold you as a slave? It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh and lord of his entire household and ruler of Egypt. God had a plan. In spite of your evil Terrible motivations. God had a plan. I am so humbled by the total absence of a vengeful, spiteful, bitter attitude. Just come to me. Some of you were here, and I'm sure I read it at the time. 
Well, with the whole beating and throwing him into his pit, after he told them his dream in Genesis 37, verse 8, it says, his brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. And now he's saying, the hatred, that's not your fault. God had a plan. It was God who sent me here, not your hatred. 45.15, it says, come close. He pours out his heart, and he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. Lesson from Joseph, maybe? I'm going to quick, quick. Basically, after this moment, they're restored. They said, go bring your dad, or go bring our dad here, bring all your families. You can live out the rest of this famine in Egypt. I will make sure that Pharaoh does right by you. They all moved to Egypt. And fast forward about 17 years. 17 years. Chapter 50. Verses 15 through 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, so they're living in Egypt, been there for 17 years. Jacob, all of their father, finally passes away. When Joseph's brothers saw that his father, their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So basically, again, in Pastor Steve's speak, what if all this time Joseph has just been being nice to us because of dad, And now that dad's gone, the hammer's going to fall. You know, what if he's just kind of been putting on a show, just biding his time, and now he's coming for us? Could happen. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you were to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. It's like, guys, I'm over this. I've been over this for years. Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me. Verse 20. You intended to harm me. Please understand, I get this. You guys meant ill will toward me. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Friends, as I have said repeatedly over the past four weeks, in my experience, pretty much all of us are going to have times where it's just not fair. Some of us will spend years in that situation. Again, looking at From when this started, when Joseph was just 17, all these years later. And now it has fully come 
become clear that God had a plan. Now, friends, when I'm the one bouncing around on rough seas, I'm not too keen on waiting 30 or 40 years to see that God has a plan. But just because I haven't seen it doesn't mean that it's not there. Like most people, um, we had called this success and significance. Like most people, I long to be successful. But it is often an incredible challenge to trust God to give me the strength to be significant. I believe, I should say for me, The life of Joseph demonstrates that not only is God still good when life is not fair, he actually is at his best when life is not fair. I find it comforting and I find it convicting to look at how the book of Genesis began and how it ended. As we think about the Garden of Eden, we have God's special people living in God's special place and God choosing to provide for them in his special way. Fast forward to the end of Genesis and we have God's special people living in a special place of God's choosing and God providing for them in a special way. With the value of 2020 hindsight and using Joseph's example, because it's not really as painful as my own examples. I'm hard-pressed to find a better definition of success and significance. Being a special person in God's sight. Being in a special place of God's choosing. And receiving God's special provision. Pray with me, please. Father, so much of this story, it's just a great story when it's somebody else's life. It's a real challenge when it's our life. And so, Father, I pray that you would just remind us each regularly of the example that Joseph sets. Father, when we feel that temptation welling up within us, to seek vengeance, to repay evil for evil. Help us to remember that oftentimes you have a long-range plan that requires some short-range struggles. And Father, it's easy to talk about in somebody else's life, but when I think about Joseph, year after year after year after year, doing the right thing and getting kicked in the teeth for it. But at some point, you gave him an eternal perspective that allowed him to see your hand in everything he endured. Father, I pray selfishly for myself, and I encourage others to do the same. I just pray that you would just give me even the tiniest bit of that strength of character and that faith in you that I too might trust you to bring significance 
even when success seems elusive. Thank you, Father.